Welcome to Literary Speaking with Crystal Lee Quibell. Literary Speaking is the author's guide to writing and publishing, sharing tips and tricks for aspiring authors. Crystal Lee's expert guests will bring you the latest information on how to write and publish your book into being. Are you ready to tell your story? Here's your host. Welcome to Literary Speaking. I'm your host, Chris Lee Quibel, and today we're talking with Jeff Brown. Jeff is the best-selling author and founder of the Soul Shaping Institute. He also began his own publishing company in Real Mint Press and filmed the documentary Carmageddon. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris Lee. It's a delight to be with you this morning. Great. Well, let's just dive right in. What inspired okay. you to write your first book? Um... I would be woken up at night by the insistence that I get out of bed and get onto a wall or onto a computer or onto a sheet of paper and and put words to whatever was moving through me. So, I mean, it was a. I always knew that I had a. It was intrinsic to my sacred purpose to write. But at some point around 2001, it became like um, a spiritual imperative, a creative imperative that I had to write, and and uh, I just I couldn't stop for for years and writing was my best defense against sleeplessness if i wrote i slept and if i i didn't i couldn't so i um in order to function for the rest of the day it became absolutely essential that i i write i love that so overall how long did it take you before you went to publish your first book Soul shaping. Um, I wrote it. I mean, I was running a window company at the time, so I was. I, I wrote it like I would say half time over a six year period. I mean, it. It took a long time, I think, because I was learning how to write, and I think mm-hmm. with that book, I really uh, c- covered a lot of ground. I attempted to cover a lot of ground, and uh, my next book, longer book, An Uncommon Bond, didn't take quite that long because I think I was a little bit more adept at writing and and had a more kind of a clarified focus. When I wrote Soul Shaping, I really didn't have a clarified focus. It all kind of unfolded um, through, throughout the writing process. Mm. So when your book was ready, did you plan to have it published traditionally through a publisher? Did you seek an agent? Uh, you know, I, I really didn't know anything, anything about the publishing industry. I And in fact, mm-hmm. I didn't want to know. I just wanted to stay with the words till the words were done with me. And um, and then when I was done, I looked online and found one publisher called Namaste Publishing, a publisher that had formed uh, many years ago. Um, Connie Kellick formed it just to publish Eckhart Tolle's first book, The Power of Now. So I sent my manuscript to them. Um, I think I sent a query on, on their website, something like that. And and their dude, David Orr, who's a brilliant editor, wrote back and said, send me the book. And, and then he... Um, he was turned down by Connie originally. The book was too long, or I can't remember what the details of it were. And and then he said he was seized by two or three weeks, all on his own. He cut my book in half, resubmitted it to her. She then made an offer on the book, um, and then they came back to me with the offer. And then I spent the summer making a decision as to whether or not I wanted to do the deal, and I made the decision not to do the deal. Um, and then I uh, mm-hmm. decided to self to self publish it, and then a homeless dude named Slim sold it on the streets of Toronto for many months before I decided to bring it into the system. So they were the only I publisher I I had any exposure to, um, and I really knew absolutely nothing about the industry. I didn't really care. I just wanted to find my voice and honor my calling. I didn't really particularly care what happened after that. I wasn't money motivated. Mm-hmm. I wasn't looking for an upfront. I never even thought about those things. And but it it just unfolded the way it had to unfold because I think this book was meant to make its way into the world. 
So Slim was really your homeless man PR person. Slim was my, yeah, Slim was my publisher. <laughs> I mean, Slim was my publicist. No, absolutely. He really was. And yeah. we have some videos on my Soul Shaping YouTube channel. There's two homelessness uh, challenge videos related to this where we filmed it. And he was, it was fantastic. I mean, it was, it was really my style to do everything grassroots anyway. I didn't really care yeah. about the system. I'm not egoically affixed to the system, and so I liked it, and I still like the idea of developing. I have a Love It Forward movement that we've been put, we've delayed. It uh, the website is loveitforward.net, where where I really want to have my books sold uh, on a street level by homeless people worldwide. It's just very complicated to arrange, and we need more time to arrange it. But I love the idea of bringing books to the people on a grassroots level, and they loved it. They would seek out Slim. They would look for Slim. People would write me from Atlanta and say, please send me sex books. But And they didn't want me to sign the books. They wanted Slim to sign the books. That was the funny oh, thing about it. Oh, I love it. it. And he and sold, so- I don't remember if he sold... 1,500 or a few thousand books on a street level over a few months. It was fantastic. Wow, that is amazing. And so did he, like, so you, did you work out a deal with him for him yeah. when he sold them? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think he was paying, I, I think he was paying 8 or $10 a book and he was selling them for 20 So, and I was I, at that time, not knowing the industry, I had went with a printer that was charging me. I was paying six or seven a book. I wasn't making hardly anything on the books, but he was, and he was saving. He had plans, and he, he finally felt inspired. He felt like he was going to go back and do a stock exchange wow. program. And, you know, it gave him a little bit of hope until everything kind of fell apart and his stuff caught up with him later in the process. But for a, for a number of months, it was uh, it was exciting for everybody. That's amazing. I love that story. I mean, I think... You're my new favorite author. <laughs> that alone just makes it fantastic to be able to give back and also, you know, you're promoting the work, but it's not about the money. It's about getting your words on the paper and out there, out there right. to the public. And, and, to help. And, it's, and it's about being, I mean, this is the most important message for me with writers. It's. I mean, it depends on what you're inspired by. If you're inspired, if you're writing to make money, for financial or egoic reasons, then you can modify the languaging because you have a different reason for being there. Um, but if you have a calling, you have to stay true to the voice, and you can't modify. And when you do modify, everything starts to fall apart. So turning down Namaste, partly because there was a, a limit on the word count in the contract that I wasn't satisfied with, because that meant I was going to have to modify the book more than I wanted to modify the book for publishing. Mm-hmm. And so this way I could do it on my terms and then have it sold on a grassroots level with no compromise in the cleanest possible way. And I wanted my writing path to be moving into the world in the cleanest possible way. So yeah, it was it was a fantastic it was a fantastic beginning. Yes, absolutely. What would you say really has helped you contribute to the success of all your books? Because I mean it seems like wherever I go when I was like, I'm interviewing Jeff Brown, people were really psyched. They love your Facebook posts, you know, it would you say it's social media that's really driven the sales of your books? Absolutely. I mean, because of my my relational nature, you know, I had a window business and sold windows door to door. I've knocked on more doors in North America than anybody on the planet, anybody in the last 30 years. And I'm a face to face guy. I always made a living that way. So for me to go and do it on Facebook, where I relate to people face to face, and we get to know one another's stories in that way, is is completely my style. So social media, the support of the Soul Pod, the wonderful 
thousands of wonderful people that back my work are really what's contributed to the success of my work because otherwise, because I won't really do much into it with the system, I'm not attracted to being published traditionally in the system. If not for social media, um, it would be very difficult for me to get my work into the world. I mean, I'd have to have homeless people everywhere selling the book on the street level, and that's a complicated process. So Facebook and the Soul Pod um, really are the key to the whole thing. And not to give myself no credit at all, whatever happened for me on Facebook in the very beginning, Facebook is the best editor I ever had because originally there were character limits on status. So I was mm-hmm. forced to stop writing long-winded things and to get them tight and concise. And I worked at that. I really worked with Facebook as a writing tool. Uh, I still do. I put up a post, I look at it, then I go onto another page and I modify it because um, I need to see it in front of me in that way. And nothing has improved my writing more than the Facebook experience. Experience, the Facebook writing experience. And, you know, for whatever reason, people like my status. They like what's coming through me, the clarified nature of it and the things that I'm writing about. And so, you know, that's the, that's the mix. It's the perfect mix. Social media arrived at the perfect time for a putz like me to bring his work into the world. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, I love well, Facebook. You know, I know the perils of Facebook, but I love it. Anyway, yeah. go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, well, you certainly did it well. Everyone, you're listening to Literary Speaking with Crystal Lee Quibel, and today we're talking with author and owner of Enrealment Press, Jeff Brown. When we come back from the break, we'll discuss how he began his own publishing company and what has led to his success as an author. We'll be right back. Your story is begging to be told, but do you know where to start? Crystal Lee Quibell is dedicated to helping you achieve your book's publishing dreams. Go to crystalleequibell.com. That's crystalleequibell, Q-U-I-B-E-L-L.com, and sign up for Crystal Lee's newsletter today. Welcome back to Literary Speaking. I'm your host, Crystal E. Quibel, and today we're continuing our conversation with Jeff Brown, my new favorite author. He's also a publisher at Enrealment Press, a company he opened himself. Jeff, what made you decide to start up Enrealment Press? You know, I just didn't really feel like making a buck a book for, you know, I mean, I've been an entrepreneur forever, so it's not a big shift for me. It's just another kind of business to open. Um, so really, initially, it began not because I had the intention to publish anybody else. It was because I had the intention to publish me, and I didn't see any reason why. You know, I'm just not particularly interested in being a slave to the industry. I'm not interested in chasing deals. I'm not interested in kissing ass of publishers and the hope that they bless me with a deal, and in the deal <laughs> they pay me very little per book, and then they tell me to go off and market the book for them. It's not like the old days when publishers did a whole lot to publicize work. Mostly now they rely on the author social media um, gathering. So it doesn't really make a lot of sense, except in certain rare circumstances, to go into the system itself. Um, and so because I'm entrepreneurial and because I, I wanted to be able to leave the window business and create space to write more freely, I knew that I needed to make more money from my writing, you know, an appropriate amount for my writing, for all the effort that I've put into the writing and all that I've left behind in order to do this path. And I couldn't do that in the system um, without compromising my voice. If I want to modify my voice and new cage my voice and and say a lot of ungrounded spiritual nonsense, I could get big book deals with big upfronts, and but mm-hmm. I can't do it. I, I can't compromise my voice. So the only way to make any sense of this was to try to find a way to make more money at it. And nowadays, anybody can. I mean, people can self-pub and go on Ingram Spark and bring their work into the world. And if the people love their work, it'll move. 
and they'll make the proper mm-hmm. amount per book that they should. And if it doesn't move, it's not going to move anyway. You know, so I, it's, yeah. it's really to everyone's advantage to do it this way, I think. What do you think is the best advice you've ever received about writing that's helped you? I had this massage therapist. Her name was Janice Green in Toronto, and um, she was a writer. And and I was just starting to write, and I was resisting. You know, I was writing a personal book, and I kept hearing a voice inside of me saying, who wants to read your diary? And, you know, I mean, I went through that kind of self-critical process, and I said, what's the best advice you could give me on writing? And she said, AC. And I said, AC, air conditioning, right? Because that didn't make any sense. She said, no, <laughs> ass in chair, ass in chair. Just get your ass in the chair and shut up. And um, and it worked. Yes. So every time I wanted to get up from the chair, I'd say, just stay here and play with this paragraph, even if you're not in the perfect place for it. Refine the paragraph. And I just stayed there so long till I developed some kind of a writing groove, and eventually that groove deepened, and it just became easier to find words. Wow. You know, you also have this uh, documentary, Carmageddon, which I watched, and it was, I mean, I think it was so amazing because it really showed the truth behind, you know, we fall in love with these spiritual gurus sometimes, and, you know, I've written about that as well, and, and just to beware, and how, when you did the documentary, had you begun writing yet, or was it before you had written? No, I had started writing in 2001, um, and mm-hmm. then... Bhagavan showed up in the house, I think it was 2004, 2005, we started the film. So it actually Mm -hmm. happened at a perfect time because I was really, as writing Soul Shaping, I was trying to really clarify the distinction between grounded and ungrounded spirituality. So he was really a study for me on many levels. And it comes through some part of the narrative when I keep coming back to grounded spirituality messaging in the latter part of the movie. He was him and Ram Dass. I was studying them trying to understand what is spirituality. Why are these people spiritual? Are they actually spiritual? Or have they just mm-hmm. perfected singular threads of consciousness at the expense of all other development paths? And, you know, I was in that inquiry very actively. And, and you know, Bhagavan confused me because when I chanted with Bhagavan, I went deep into my body and cleared emotional debris. So I mm-hmm. somehow assumed that he was doing the same. That is, that he was linking spirituality to emotional material, which is kind of my trip. And it took me a long time to understand that, in my view, he was using kirtan to get away from the body. And mm-hmm. I was using kirtan to get deeper into my body. Um, but I studied him. You know, I mean, there's the obvious stuff about him in the film that we cover, but it was really so much of my writing now about New Cage Movement and about all of it came from not just in dialogues with him, but dialogues with a number of people around that community in the heart of that process. I kept asking this question, which doesn't come through in the film. We removed it at the end, which was, you know, how do you, how do you, how can someone claim to be enlightened when they're not moral in their behavior, not ethical in their behavior? Yes. So many of the patriarchal, vertical, you know, ungrounded spirituality dudes, who I then held in high regard and now don't, often said, it's nothing to do with it. Enlightenment has nothing to do with morality. It comes to who it comes to. And I kept saying, I don't get that. Because if my heart chakra is not clear and clean and integrated and healthily relational, um, then how can you ever claim to be an enlightened being? But through the vertical 
patriarchal access, which has nothing to do with relational field. That's for the women down at the bottom of the mountain, the ones who bring the milk and food and leave it at the cave entrance. Through that perspective, it has, enlightenment has nothing to do with our relational integrity. But from my perspective, it has everything to do with it. I mean, uh, what they're calling enlightenment, I call enfrightenment, really, because it's not any kind of yes. enlightenment that I want us to move forward with on this planet. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And I think, I mean, I know we we spoke yesterday and I said, I feel like this is the kind of documentary that should be shown at the beginning of all, everyone who's going on any sort of spiritual journey and begins yeah. to speak about yeah. gurus, you know, they really need to see this because I think it's a warning. there's, it is, it is. And it's very, you know, there's signs and we often don't pick up on those signs, right? Like you, right, you said, there were right. moments where you were like, oh, that feels kind of icky, but no, 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 he's a good guy. And then later you're like, no, that, you know, he really isn't who he says he is or who he, you know, portrays. I mean, apart from the obvious question of, you know, you know, who is this person really who I am projecting this onto, you know, because 90% of the people in this field, in my opinion, are, are at least in the spiritual teaching field, 90% of them are charlatans, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a, they're just t- selling people a karmic bill of goods. And, and often in the worst possible way, people who are economically challenged and in the name of God. So the whole thing horrifies yeah. me, but religion usually horrifies me. To me, it's all the same nonsense over and over again. But the real question that I want people to take from the film is, is why am I projecting this onto that individual? Where's this coming from in me? Because I think mm-hmm. ultimately, if you don't address that question, you're going to keep pushing up against this pattern. Yeah, absolutely. And so from the film, I mean, you've continued writing. You have a new book coming out, Spiritual Graffiti. Um, maybe what? Maybe you could tell everybody a little bit about you know what inspired inspired the book and and what they can look for because it's actually available now. Yeah, graffiti just came out early, um, and it's doing very well. You know, this. I mean, I have quotes books. My first one was Ascending with Both Feet on the Ground, which was just my kind of my more popular Facebook quotes and writings and and blogs. Um, and then the next one, Love It Forward. So this is the third in the set, Spiritual Graffiti. The difference, I mean, the quotes are not so much different. There, there's a little bit more calling out of what I call the New Cage Movement in the book. But really, for me, the, pre- there's, the preface is the heart of the book for me. Um, I call it a call to authenticity, where I really call out the ungrounded spirituality movement and the New Cage Movement and the Bypass Movement and, the, and really try to acknowledge, in very direct terms, the dangerous nature of these messages, the you know, I, I knew an individual who hung hung himself um, because he had bought into all of these new cage principles and stopped working in the emotional body. He was all an illusion. Oh, his feelings weren't yeah. part of spiritual field. So eventually, his stuff, of course, caught up with him because it has to. You can't just witness the pain body across the room and wave to it forever. It comes at three in the morning, in the middle of the night. When you wake up, you want to jump off a bridge. So, basically. Mm-hmm. The dangerous nature of these these uh, messages, and I understand the messages are being communicated so people can build followings and make a living, but they're dangerous because when somebody lets go of the emotional processing piece, a trauma survivor, and decides that that's not spiritual, they are setting themselves up for a horrible outcome. 
Um, so the first part of the book is the call to authenticity, where I really, really call this out and challenge all of us to call all of this out, out in the field. Yes. And stop with this no gossip bullshit, which is a very convenient mantra that's been perpetuated by gurus since the beginning of time so they can get away with uh, criminality, in my opinion. Um, well, this book really exactly. says, let's just call it out where it's appropriate. Absolutely. And I think, you know, for people, especially that are just coming into the spiritual movement and really finding this stuff, they, you know, you you can easily, easily be swayed. And, and that no gossip rule is so huge. And and really, people feel almost like they're a bad person if they speak up and say, you know, this this man take it, took advantage of me or this woman, you know, shared my private info with people. And I think I love that you're so authentic about about all of your posts and even in your writings are authentic and that you just are willing to call people out and say, like, it's time to stop. We really need to wake up right. and see that this is what's happening and, right. and to stop it from happening. You know, it's not See, right one of the, one, that's right. it's one it's, sorry, one of the advantages to publishing my own work is that I don't have to worry about the political effects of telling mm-hmm. the truth. Right. But Absolutely. if you're in the field and you're clamoring to get on Oprah and you think you're gonna get a big two hundred grand up front from Penguin or whatever it is, you're less likely, especially if you're not in an economic position. Uh, you really need that money. For a lot of them, they they have a lot of the same thoughts, uh, except the ones who are most deeply perpetuating this nonsense. But they don't say anything on their post because they don't want to piss off the profession. So at some point, yeah. I was playing the game with the profession. I was like clamoring with the profession, and and then I was woken up. I think it was March third, two thousand and fourteen. Little Missy, who's my inner demon, I wrote about in Soul Shaping. I hadn't heard from her for years because I had been on my true path. She didn't have to tell me to get off false path. But now I was getting on false path. I was worried about what people think. I was not saying what I wanted to say about Eckhart Tolle's message because I was concerned Oprah would be upset with me. I was feeding into that nonsense in myself, and little Missy woke up and said, stop it. Stop being for the profession. You're here for the people. Just tell the truth. Fire the agent, which I did at the time. Stop futzing around with the publishing house you're clamoring to get a deal with. Just do it on your own terms. That's why you left law to do this on your own terms. And then I started to post the truth about New Cage Movement on my wall, and my page went crazy because it was like nobody else was doing it in the field because they're all worried about their vested interests, and I don't really care Mm -hmm. that much. I'm in Canada. You know, we're up here. You know, we go to Tim Hortons, we (laughs) hang out, we watch hockey. I don't really care if they all hate me as long as I help some people. Well, exactly, and your intent is to show people, you know, you can, you can, you have the freedom to publish your own work, and you have the freedom to speak freely and say what you want to say, and you don't have to censor yourself, and don't censor yourself, you know, no. to try and get a book deal, you know, go your no. own way, and look no. how successful you've been, I mean, you know, now you have your own publishing company, and, you know, I think that's fantastic, and it, feel, authors, it feels right. It, it feels right to yeah. me. And let it be a message to all writers out there that, you know, I mean, if you if you can get the support of the people uh, nowadays, I mean, people don't care who publishes your book. If they like your writing, they'll tell people to buy your book. They don't go on Amazon and go, oh, it's not Penguin Books. I'm not buying. It. They don't care about that. It means mm-hmm. nothing to them. They don't even know what the publishing house means. They're just no. going there because either they like your stuff or they heard about it. And so now the beauty is if you can build in social media and get your work to enough people, and if they like it, they'll share it, you don't need a publisher anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, if you can't afford a press run, that's different. 
I mean, these there are, yeah. you know, or you want to get in the system in the hopes that Barnes and Noble will pick you up. Then you have to do what I did with soul shaping and get into the system once. But beyond that, you know, if the people love your work, they'll buy your work and they'll support your work, and that's really all that matters. I mean, who are we Absolutely. writing for? We're writing for the people. I mean, that's who we're writing exactly. for. Exactly, and it's just you just. I think the majority of writers, we just really want to get our work out there and share it with people. And right. those of us that really love it, you know, we don't do this for the money. And if the the vast majority of the public knew how little people actually get in terms of oh, book yeah. deals. Yeah. <laughs> I know so many best-selling authors that basically have to worry about their rent every month. I mean, the industry... You know, when you're making a buck a book, you know, if you buy a book, people need to know this. They go to Indigo Chapters or wherever it is and buy a book for $20. The author probably made on average around a dollar. So if the author needs 50 grand a year to live on, the author needs to sell 50,000 books in a year. Now, no. Bear in mind, the average book sold by a traditional publisher lifetime only sells 1,500 books. Author can work for 10 years and get their book into the system and make $1,500 total from their book. That's the reality of the industry. If somebody self-pubs and brings it into the world, they can make between 4 and $10 a book so they can actually live on it and then go write more freely without being worried about money all the time. When I worry about money, I can't write well. So as long as I do it this way and people will support me, then I can write more freely and express my voice more fully because I don't have to be anxious about it all the time. But in the system, you always have to be anxious about it. Wow, that's amazing. Statistics. Those are the numbers. And, and so helpful because I think a lot of authors don't have this information. So, right, you know, right. thank they you so much for sharing. The first royalty check will be worth 20 grand. You know, I spent 15 grand on a publicist at the beginning with Soul Shaping, and I think my first royalty check was two grand. That was high. Okay, so that means Random House sold a couple of thousand books worldwide during that phase, and I spent about fifteen grand on a publicist. So those are the numbers. Now there are a few books that go absolutely crazy, and it was worth your while. And I got Good Morning America, and I got New Dimensions. So it helped me in the long run as a matter of credibility. But you got to be very sensible. You've got to really do what I didn't do, which is to research and listen to shows like this, so that when you go into it, at least you you know you can still make the conscious decision to go into mm-hmm. the system in the hope that if your book flies, they will have more access to bookstores worldwide, which is true. But at the same time, you need to be informed and understand what the consequences are of making certain decisions. And I didn't have any of that information, and I actually – I wish I had sat down with one author one time just to inform me so I would have moved into this in a different way. Well, I mean, I thank you so much. I mean, I think this, you know, it's just so important for authors to be informed, and I think the vast majority aren't, so I'm really glad that we get this forum to do this. And I just want to thank you so much for being here today, Jeff. You've been such a wealth of information, and I would love to have you back. If there was maybe one thing you could say in a sentence or two about what's the main message you want people to take away from your life's work, what would that message be? Um, to to not look outside of themselves for the sacred purpose that's encoded in the bones of their being um, and to do everything in their power to work through the individual and collective shame piece that we all carry that prevents us from honoring our magnificence. Don't listen to the bashers of the ego out in the spiritual world because we need a healthy ego. And the most important thing for me on my writing path has has been to actually do the work, to believe in my value and to believe in my voice so I can bring it to the world more directly and more sturdily. Wow. 
Thank you so much, Jeff, for being here today. I'm so appreciative for all this advice. Jeff Brown can be found online at soulshaping.com. His latest book, Spiritual Graffiti, can be pre-ordered online at Enrollment Press and in bookstores near you. Please do make sure you order your copy and leave a good review on Amazon or Goodreads. Join us next time on Literary Speaking for more tips and tricks on how to get your work published. Visit crystalleequible.com and sign up for my newsletter to receive updates and bonus Q&A material from our guests. I'm your host, Crystal Lee. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to Literary Speaking with your host, Crystal Lee Quibell. To start discovering how you can begin telling your story, go to crystalleequibell.com. That's crystalleequibell, Q-U-I-B-E-L-L.com. And sign up for Crystal Lee's newsletter. Join us again next week for more advice from your favorite authors and publishing professionals.